Hello and welcome back to ESPN Music. My name is Daniel Dopp, your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I've gotten a lot of response from the last interview we just did with August Burns Red. It played uh, nationally on a number of different ESPN radio affiliates. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody who has reached out to me, reached out to the band. Do me a favor. You can follow the podcast uh, in the ESPN app under ESPN Music. You can subscribe to it on iTunes. It would be a ton of fun. Uh, shoot me a picture. You can you can get me on Twitter at Daniel Dopp. Let me know where you're listening to it at uh, today. I'm very excited. This is actually our first return guest, David Bazan. Hello. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. So uh, that means technically you're a friend of the program once you've done it more than once. I, I accept. So you are our first friend. Yeah. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's awesome. You're uh, a friend request. Yeah. That, that, is, that is fantastic. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Actually, I'm going to ask you a number of questions okay, throughout, good. throughout all of this. Because I don't think just one answer will <laughs> It'll be a short be podcast. Uh, last time we heard from you, when you were here, mm-hmm. you were with Yuki Matthews. I was, yes. And you guys were in the middle of your headphones tour. That's right. So things have wrapped up since the headphones tour. It was a 10-year anniversary of the headphones record. That's right. You've had a lot happen since then. I suppose so, yeah. Technically. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to see, how did that tour end up with you? How did things go with that? And are you and Yuki still friends? Uh, yeah, um, the tour was good. Um, it, it was great, in fact. And the Seattle show, was sort of at the end of the run, was um, yeah, just a fantastic experience. Um, it was really good. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we did another couple of tours, and I had a couple of things come out, and yeah, I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. So those couple of things that came out, you were in the middle of, you had already released all of your Bazan Monthly songs, correct? I'm trying to think when that was. On that tour, I think they had maybe all come out by then, because um, that was in 2015 in the s- summer. Yep. Um, yeah, they had all, ju- we had just finished releasing all of them. Okay. All 20. So you would, so, and for those that maybe didn't hear the first podcast, it'd be great if you went back and listened to it. If you don't want to, then we'll just briefly explain it here. You released two songs a month for tw- 20, 10 months? Uh, for 10 months, yeah. 10 months. Yeah. So a total of 20 songs. 20 songs. That were spanned over two different 10 song records. Yeah. Like volumes, we called them. Yep. Okay. And then everything that you did with that came out on either digitally or you could buy a seven inch every month. And so you got five different seven inches for the first one and five different seven inches for the second one. Yeah. And then from that now, uh, you've been doing a number of things. So you finished your headphones tour. You wrote all those songs. You worked on the new T.W. Walsh record. Uh, Just barely, though. Um, I just sequenced the the record. Gotcha. Um, once they had kind of done all of the the real work, um, they didn't. I don't think either of them wanted to uh, sequence the record. It's it's kind of a daunting thing, especially when you've been having your head so deep inside of a of a project like that. It's hard to get that that kind of distance that you need to see it from you know thirty thousand feet. Yeah. In some ways, um, to understand what's happening, um, and so I volunteered. Uh, I. Because I loved the record, um, I loved all the songs, but I also saw that if they were put in the wrong order, it could feel not, it just kind of, I'm, I have a, a short enough attention span that I need to, to there to be sort of like a thread in a way that things are kind of introduced for me to stick with it. And so 
I think I'm a good candidate for a record like that that is complex and has got a lot of moving parts and it's brooding and it's not like a beat-over-the-head pop record. If in the wrong order, it would just – you might not be able to get into it. But in the order that it's in now, I feel like from start to finish, it's just a ride that at least I really want to be on. So, yeah, I got to work on that in that sense. I passionately for four days, you know, really – went back and forth and tried to come up with a plan for how to, you know, attack it. And I did. So, so I did that in the meantime. That was great. That was fun. Okay. Do you feel that you, a lot of moving parts is better than fewer moving parts? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. Um, All right. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you, this new record that you just came out with, or you technically is coming out yeah, May, uh, May 13th. 13th. So, so for a number of you that may be listening to this, the record may have already come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is beforehand. Blanco mm-hmm. is 10 songs from the Bazan monthly volumes. Yep. And then people have two varying opinions on this. I'm sure they do. We uh, anticipated this. And I would love to know, because for me, I totally understand. I know exactly where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and Bob, your manager, I'm assuming you've had a lot of conversations with him about it. That's correct. Um, so explain to us why you decided to, I guess, re-release these songs that you've already released mm-hmm. and the kind of, whether it's the fan backlash or mm-hmm. acceptance for the understanding of why you're doing it this way. Um, well, so I turned my attention after the Bazan Monthly songs uh were all wrapped up and all released to the 10 songs that I was going to write for the new record. And as I was going down the, that process, I kind of realized that there's this rhythm that is that has felt really healthy to me that I've experienced over the years where you work really hard on this creative project and then you get to kind of go out in the world and experience it over and over again. Um, as you present it to different people. This is sort of a a thing that's unique to people who put out records and particularly records that are in the sort of rock or folk, you know, pop genre because you're playing the same songs over and over again. And while there's some improvisation that's involved in any of it, there's also a lot of uh, constant, you know, through through the thing. So as I turned my attention to that, I just started thinking, man, I just I was feeling a little like punched in the gut, you know, a little bit as I was thinking about it. And so I started thinking more and more and realized not only do we not get to go and show everybody this, you know, on tour and play in rock clubs because we didn't, we didn't do that at all on, uh, on the seven inches. Um, um, So we, you know, I didn't get to go around and play in rock clubs and there was a number of things that happened that would happen after writing 20 songs that I really loved. Yeah. Um, and so my, my brain started moving in that direction. And then I also realized I'm going to put out this new record and go on tour. And I can see myself every night being like, have you guys heard these other records? Cause the other thing is that those records, it, they did well uh, by a certain measure, but you know, a 10th of the people that, have been listening in the past yep. um were able to get them or or hear them uh, as far as we know and so why do you where did that number come from um well the the album sales of strange negotiations and uh Kersher branches 
the previous, you know, two records um, versus this, the numbers, because we have access to all that stuff through Barsook sure. to know how many they've sold. And, um, and then what we sold of, you know, those online, both digitally and, you know, the seven inches, it was a, a much, much smaller number. And so I just, as I was, as I had kind of moved on from them and was on into the next phase, I just felt this longing and this kind of grief that I was, I was having to move on and I was feeling ripped off. And so I started thinking about why and at the end of it, I thought, well, I, I need to be able to, I need for everybody to hear these, like, you know, not enough people have heard them. Yeah. And, um, and it's because we haven't given people a chance when you make a record and put out a full length record on a record label, there's tens of thousands of dollars spent to promote, you know, the record paying a publicist and buying ads and just all of this kind of machinery in place that we didn't give to the songs yet. It was sort of internally and, in the camp. Um, so for me, um, the, the, the feeling that I have had, um, is that the pre-order period is the period that I find awkward mm -hmm. because there are people who are early or close enough to the, to Bazan land and early adopters enough of Baz things Bazan that they got the seven inches but now there's this uneasy feeling of unless I can hear all 10 songs and how they compare to the record, I don't even – or to the seven inches, I don't even know if I want to buy the record. Right. And I feel that pain and I wish that everybody could just hear it. Once the record is out, it will be on – you know, it's on Spotify and it's on um, – you know, it's just everywhere You so you could stream it for free. And once that happens, there's no conflict for me. It's not medicine the record. I don't, I'm not asking, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be mad at anybody for not buying it for any reason. Um, it, it, unless they love the record, if they love the record, then they should buy it. <laughs> right. But you know, you cannot love it for any number of reasons. And if that is because you've already bought those songs in a slightly different form, you know, 85% the same or however you want to calculate that. Yeah. Um, that's valid to me. So, but it's just this period where people can't actually listen um, to everything, and they're in that zone where they're feeling like that that tension, that tug. Like normally, I would be somebody who would buy the pre-order. Like that's something that I've always done, and now I'm in this conundrum because I don't really know if I want to put my album dollars this month to a thing that's I'm going to be feeling ripped off of. Yeah. And so I feel for people in that situation. But what I would say is just like, just relax. It doesn't say anything weird about you if you don't pre-order a Bazan record. I think all the premium goods, you know, are going to be available after the, the record actually is released. So just wait. It's no big. For sure. It ain't medicine. And so this is where I feel like it's important to say, that you experimented a little bit even with writing the original monthly volumes in the first place. Oh yeah. I mean, they were just like, they were trust falls. They were each month was just a, ma a major trust fall because and, I didn't have a choice. Right. You had, you had to write two songs bottom line and they had to be good or else the self-loathing was going to choke me out. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I had to like them, right. whether or not critics liked them. I, I that's not what I'm talking about. So that's, an, that's a situation specifically <clears throat> where you 
kind of you know broke out of the traditional album cycle mold mm-hmm. that for the most part whether it's an, a full length or an ep mm-hmm. you've lived in and so has almost every other artist yeah. for everything and this is you know what guys i'm going to try something different yeah we're going to put them out on seven inches maybe halfway through you realized the seven inch idea is cool but maybe not as cool as what we thought yeah um at least the second part <laughs> um <laughs> so and knowing that, like, I can't imagine you wrote 20 songs. You're normal, not just you. Most albums aren't, aren't that big. No, no. I mean, that's, that's a robust number of songs <clears throat> that you wrote for a record. And then you're just going to bury them immediately. Yeah, that was the, that was the, the, the silly thing about it. And so the, all of the, the agony of it is, is my fault, you know, because I think I really did lead people to believe that, you know, what I wanted to believe, which was like, yeah, I'm going to do these. And then the juices are flowing, and I'm just going to keep them spinning. And in a way, I am going to do that. But before that happens, I feel like that 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 moment in my trajectory as a as a creative person and in my career, I guess, if you want to think of it that way, um, I wanted to yeah, I wanted to just meditate on it for a, a year for you know? sure. Um, and I think that people because th- that's the other thing is that you know when you're going out and playing. Um, shows and you have a hundred and some odd songs that you've released. It's really a weird thing to, you know, you've got 22 jams. That's too long of a show. You know, 22 songs is for me, my shows, I think is too much 20. So if you've got a new record, you want to play seven of those jams. You only have 13 songs to kind of cover the whole territory. And so I was also thinking about touring the next, the 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 record of new songs that had that didn't actually happen to be clear, or maybe just slightly more clear, <laughs> um, uh, but that when I was programming the you know making those set lists that I was going to want to populate it all with these twenty bazon monthly songs that were just kind of buried in the dirt and I felt like I was going to have this like kind of unhealthy relationship with these songs where you're like mm, these songs never got the appreciation they deserved. It's like, well, that's your fault, man. Yeah, you know. So I remedied it, and I and I said, okay, well, let's let's celebrate this stuff. And you are hoping that fans understand, especially understanding that explanation, just understand where we're coming from. Yeah, and like we're not trying to gouge you because you don't, we we you don't have to buy it, right? You're not, we won't be mad if you love that. If you f- interact with it on Spotify later and you realize that it is meaningful to you in a in a in a deeper way. You know, consider buying it. But even then, if you already bought the seven inches, thank you so much. Absolutely, you've done your you've done your job. So then, let's spin it forward to the new record coming out of that. It's called Blanco. Blanco. Why Blanco? I don't know, man. It started as uh, El Diablo Blanco because uh, I was watching the news, and that's the only phrase that kept bouncing around in my head. Um, and then I thought, well. And that wasn't a record title. That was just, I was just writing it down everywhere and tweeting it all the time. And just like, I just felt like the white devil just really kind of said it, you know? Um, but then the El Diablo just kind of fell away and the, the word Blanco kind of just was floating around. And um, Yuki, uh, who, you know, we were making that record, all that music with, um, he, um, said, what are you thinking about album title-wise? And I said, well, Blanco, I think is what I might call it. And he said, that's it. 
And so I never thought about it again because I liked it. And then my collaborator was just thought it was a slam dunk, you know. So, yeah. and then now since it's been called that, and the tunes have been chosen, and the the themes are kind of emerging of what those you know the cut that the songs that made the cut. There's a there there are themes that kind of interact, and uh, the, the, all the album art, and you know, there's a, a a set of meanings that are kind of living on in my in my mind that are pretty powerful. Um, but I'm just in the the strange position, maybe for the first time in my life, that I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Wow! I just just going to hold on to it. Yeah, it's just for me. Okay. Um, Imagine you making art just for yourself. Well, I'm not making the art for myself, but that explanation, I feel like that there's merit in it and that people can kind of come over it with their in their minds and put it all together and shake it up and see what comes out. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. But just my – so I guess I'm talking about the record as a consumer. My interpretation of the record, once it got put together, is coming out in a way that it just is – it's personal, you yeah. know, and it's uh, it's beautiful, and I think you can feel that on the record. I think that, you know, the what I'm obsessed with on this record is different than the previous two. Absolutely, and um, it's something that I think I'll always be obsessed with, and I'm pretty glad about it. And you, so when you were here last time, you did you played a couple of acoustic songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were that are actually still up on ESPN. If you type in David Bazan in the little search bar, you'll have a couple of songs that come up. Uh, the first one was Nobody's Perfect, mm-hmm. and then you also played Animals. Animals. And you played Little Landslides. And Little Landslides is the only one that made the record. Uh, those other ones are uh, basically, I think you get if you pre-order the record, and maybe after the it comes out it'll be this way too, I don't know. But you get both uh, Bazan Monthly... Um, volumes, uh, the download codes for them, so you can uh, hear all the songs that didn't make the record, too. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting. Little Landslides made the record, and the other two didn't. Yeah. little I, I love Little Landslides. I gotta Thank be you honest. so much. It was, a, it was a big one for me. Uh, thanks. It was for me, too. Um, I've told the story elsewhere, so maybe I don't need to tell it here, but um, it, it was a turning point for me in, in, the, in the process of making those monthly records um, because... The first two songs I had already had kind of written. I just had to finish them. They they were like done and 90% done, you know, uh, respectively, side A and B. And um, then after that, I had nothing. And I had, you know, a thousand people bought 10 songs and we gave them two and I didn't have anything. And so I just had, so I was in the bottom, I mean, I was in the belly of the whale. Like I was way, way out at sea. Yeah. And I wrote Nobody's Perfect and I wrote um, this other song called Sparkling Water. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they both just sounded like toothpicks in your ears. They just sound, I just, I thought these, these songs suck. I hate them. You know, they're, I don't have it. I don't have it. And so then I thought, well, I got to get it. Um, and so one morning I woke up and I was feeling low. I was getting ready to work with, go down to Yuki's house for the first time to work on this stuff the next day. And I thought, I got these two songs that suck that I'm going to take down there. <laughs> but I got to have something that I'm, that I'm 
that I'm that I think this is awesome that I that I'm not ashamed of you yeah. know. So I turned on YouTube and I ran into this um, video. I was just looking for music that I wanted. I was trying to get turned on. You know, I just wanted to just surfing around watching performances and videos and just looking to get turned on somehow to feel something deep. You know, uh, see something real. And I happened on this Chad Van Galen. He was playing a song called The Hangman's Daughter, I think, or something like this, um, on KXP. And uh, I started crying because it was just real. It's very, very beautiful. And I listened to 30 seconds of it, and I turned it off, and I sat down and started writing Little Landslide. Um, and it just was exactly what I needed to get in the, the feeling. And so I went down there. Little Landslide was only half done. And Yuki's like, what do you got? And I showed him Little Landslide right away. And even in that moment, I was like, oh, man, this isn't even done. You know, we can't work on this today. And so I played him all three tunes. And he was just like, I love, I love all these. Let's start with Nobody's Perfect. And then we made Nobody's Perfect from start to finish that day, the way that it is on the thing, which you couldn't, can't hear unless you buy the record. So, <laughs> sorry. Um <clears throat> But at any rate, that song, you know, emerged and it's on the ESPN site and all yeah. that. And so you can uh, hear it in all kind of ways on, on YouTube, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was, um, you know, that song in particular, it just, it turned my whole thing around. And then I realized I do know what I'm doing if I just believe that I do for just 10 seconds yeah. and that I really like doing this almost like a validation of I can, I can do this. Yeah. Just, yeah. That I like, I like myself. I like the way that my brain, you know, pumps out music. It's, it's unique to me and it's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. So those songs, including the songs that are on Blanco mm -hmm. are a little bit more electronic than your last album, yep. which was strange negotiations. Yep. Is there any kind of does that coincide at all with the your mindset being on the tenth tenth anniversary of headphones and did any of that bleed into it or was it just a you know what stylistically you just wanted to go this route? I you know I've been wanting to head this way since two thousand and I you know the the origin of the band headphones is that I just heard synthesizers in a couple of contexts which kind of blew my mind a little and I thought oh man you can make like you could turn kind of regular songwriting psychedelic with the, the right use of these things. And so then I started to change Pedro the Lion into a synthesizer and drums band. And my booking agent, uh, Trey Manny um, of Velour 100, uh, he had a band that is great, great band. Um, he said, dude, don't, what are you doing? Just make another band later. Don't, don't ruin Pedro the Lion by making it a synthesizer band. <laughs> this is before making Control. This is in between. Because if, if he hadn't said that, Control would have been this like crazy synthesizer record. I no think. way. Yeah. That was what I was trying to do. That's what I wanted to do. So were you, are you disappointed with the way that Control came out? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, it's not my favorite Pedro record, but I think that for what I was going for, it was I w it makes me really happy. Yeah. You know? Um. And then you did another Pedro record after that. So you yeah. you held off even more on... Yeah, and I was just waiting for a time to start that other band. I thought, you know, that is a good idea. He's right. Like, uh, I'll just keep Pedro 
Pedro and then start another band. And that other band was Headphones. Yep. And that was my first foray into it. And so I still didn't totally get my own taste or what they were. And it, even if I had a sense of that, I had to get there. And it was really because traditionally I had I just never messed with reverb or delay yeah. hardly ever. You know, I'd do some slap back here and there, but that was as wacky as it got. Um, and so that's why the, the headphones record is a really interesting sort of first step into appropriating synthesizers for, you know, folk songs, basically. Weird, weird folk songs. Um, but uh, it didn't have that psychedelic aspect that I really wanted. More distortion, more spatial kind of, you know, if I'm, I'm probably not allowed. You're to allowed say. to say that. That's oh, helpful. good. We'll, I've been we'll, holding back. Yeah, no, you're good. I, I'll still hold back. It's been feeling nice. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to have to swear every, every 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what. Um, I was waiting for, and then on branches, I kind of see the thing about it is, is that I I want a thing to happen, but I can't force it. I don't feel like it's right to just force it. So I, it's got to find a natural way. So after headphones, um, I started making records under my own name, David Bazan, and the first thing was the Fewer Moving Parts EP. And if you listen to that, there's a song called Cold Beer and Cigarettes, and that is really what I had wanted headphones to sound like. There's no guitars on that song, but it's distorted Wurlitzers and synthesizers and drums. And that's more the, the feeling that I had. I just wanted to be it, to be sexy and kind of a little chaotic, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so then on branches, there just wasn't a way to... I, I tr- you know, there's synths in places on that record, but it's, that was a tricky record. I want, I I was, I always was looking for a way to, you know, write that bass line that changes it from like a, a cowboy chord strummer into like a, you know, at least like a early Sarah McLaughlin jam or something like not so square (laughs) as like, it's not even as sexy as like the the fumbling toward ecstasy. Right. You know? Um, but it just it, it wouldn't take it. it. It just had to be its own. It had to be its own thing. And then strange negotiations came from, um, you know, I had a, I had a great live band, and I hadn't had a live band in years that was sort of consistent. And so we it was me and these two other guys, and I thought, well, let's try to make a record together that somewhat representative of the kind of thing that we would do live, pretty stripped down. And so that's what it was. But every time I'm in a hotel room by myself at night before I go to bed, I open up my laptop and I mess with synthesizers because it's what I love. You know, I spend way too much money on synthesizers, you know? Yeah. So then when I got to kind of do this whole other bizarre monthly thing, I just naturally gravitated toward, yeah, it's all synths and, and, uh, drum machines and a little bit of acoustic guitar here, there, but yeah, I like it. I do too. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that having wanted to do that for so long and fighting the urge to force it into stuff that you're doing yeah. could be really difficult, but looking back at it could really help you grow from that respect. Yeah, I think that I do I see the whole thing as a process that I that I believe in still and I I wouldn't I don't think I would I mean there's some 
there are some things that I would change just because there was hurt that that friends experienced and that I experienced that I would rather not experience, but right. um, or, or have them experience. Uh, but other than that, my own sort of development, I guess, in terms of that, yeah, I, I look back at skills that I picked up having to perform the headphones record that are going to come into play on all of this new stuff with the, the way that I'm going to tour it and everything that is, you know, it's, it's exciting and it's, I've come to this wacky place that I'm, I'm in, in terms of how I'm making music, uh, really organically. And it's been, it's good. That's awesome. Yeah. So Blanco new record, people can pick it up mm-hmm. at com If you want to get like a CD or a vinyl, or if you want to listen to it digitally, mm-hmm. you can probably get it anywhere. Yep. Look for it. Okay. Um, and Blanco again is 10 songs from the Bazan monthly volumes. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a Negro coming out with the other 10 ah, songs? What a good idea. Um, I don't think so. Um, only because, um, well, for two reasons, I think, is because most people would see Negro on the thing. And <laughs> right. I don't think that that's going to fly. Um, although I love the, oh, man, that's so good. But also, um, I think that, that this... Uh, Blanco album cycle and with the bundling of the monthly things with the record um, will properly sort of celebrate these songs and in a way those songs sort of are being released uh, to that was kind of what I just wanted I wanted the big promotional machine that was going to happen it's not that big but it you know it's bigger than nothing yeah Um, it's way bigger than nothing I'm not trying to say it's small you guys it's it's not small (laughs) right right um, the, uh, uh, I wanted that to be behind this set of songs and in a way that's just, it's all happening. So for my taste, people are getting the access to all t- 20 songs in the way that I, I really hoped. And I don't want to monetize any of these songs ever again yeah. in another form that's <laughs> if fair. I can help it. Yeah. Um, unless it is dramatically different. So a little bit ago, mm-hmm. I noticed that you had said on your Twitter Guys, there's something coming up in Seattle you might want to check out. This was a little uh-huh. while ago. You just played a show with T.W. Walsh. Yep. Andy Fitz, who plays bass for you. Yep. Uh, you played drums. I did. And Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie played guitar. That's correct. And this was like a T.W. Walsh show, correct? Yeah, we all learned uh, 17 T.W. Walsh songs, uh, mostly from Songs of Pain and Leisure and um, uh, Fruitless Research, his new record. Um but yeah, but spanning you know all the records, uh, well, not uh, putting the days to bed, but yeah, yeah, okay. So this leads me to the question: being that this is a sports thing, ESPN's a sports thing. I, I'm familiar yep. with it. Yeah. Uh, if you could create a fantasy lineup, either for the studio mm-hmm. or for you to go out on tour with. Who would you choose to plug in to all of those different spots? Ooh, this is a high pressure. It really high is high pressure question. Um, I'm gonna just I'm I'm just gonna fire right off the um, uh, Greg Saunier from uh, Deerhoof. Okay. Uh, in any in any role he chooses, uh, he's a brilliant drummer. Of course, that's what people see in Deerhoof, but. He can do anything he wants uh, to do. Um, 
this guy called Chris Cohen, who t- was also in Deerhoof, um, and he has his own records. He's got a record that's coming out uh, in May, I believe, uh, as well. Um, Chris Cohen, yeah. Um, I'm I'm trying to think of um, drummers is hard. Yeah, drummers is hard. I would say that um, Gibbard. Uh, well, no, drummers aren't hard. It would be Gibbard and Walsh and Fitz. Yeah, <laughs> is who it would be. Um, I mean, the the experience of playing with those three guys the other day was a peak experience in in my life. Um, and it seems like it was for all of us. We just we all committed to this project, learn these tunes, represent Tim at this show, you know, become a band. And we had a, a two rehearsals in the show and it was ecstatic fun. I mean, just endorphin crushing. Heck yeah, man. You know. And that lineup wasn't known by people, correct? No. So- I, we weren't you know, no one talks about any of this stuff, but we're not no one's trying to, you know, like sell Ben out so that we, you know we can sell a hundred tickets at a at a, a right. basement venue of a place. It's just all friends doing a thing um, that we didn't even know what it was going to turn out like. To tell you that, you know, we all tried our best, but it could have been a failure. It could have just kind of shat the bed. Yeah. But from the moment the the show started, it was like, yes, this is happening. And Gibbard, he just brings. Um, He's a remarkable human. Uh, Yeah, there just aren't a lot of other people in his position who would show up with no ego. and He takes up none space in in the room. I mean, he's present and, you know, hangs out and he's joke, you know, jokes and funny. And but he just doesn't there's no drag, you know, and there's no star power. It's just a dude. That's, and that's profound, I think. That is awesome, especially I feel like in the music industry, not just the music industry, but in society today where everything is about how many Twitter followers do I have? How many, he, yeah. whatever, you know, it's just a, I am this person. Yeah. And to hear that is so awesome, whether it's about an athlete or a musician, to just know that they are there are still down-to-earth people. He is, and he's way more of a runner than he is a musician, I feel <laughs> like. Like, in terms of just hours spent doing a thing, like, right. I don't think it probably really compares that's funny um he's a he's an insane you know like maybe ultra he definitely does more than marathons yeah a world that i think i've seen him run in like mountains and stuff like that yeah it's all this like yeah he he's it's a it's a really cool thing yeah but that thing with walsh was tremendous and the record is so good fruitless research um i don't think i can really say that but um but yeah, and, and it was just such an honor. And uh, Fitz, uh, you know, Andy Fitz, it, if you're listening to this at this point, uh, you should check out his record because you're going to love it. Yeah. Um, it's called Smoky Wilds, S M O K Y W I L D S. And um, it's a fantastic record. And just a bit of background the three records we're talking about right now Blanco, Fruitless Research, and Smoky Wilds are um all produced by Yuki um and uh you when you it's they go together they really do yeah three buddies you know we all know each other and and have been friends forever and then this other friend of ours produced all these records and it's a really it's a moment in uh 
and our little group of friends and this whatever scene that implies and then you know our lives and uh you should listen to them together and if you start the big lebowski at the i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no but that would be amazing if that happened that would be awesome all right. I'm definitely doing that in my life. You're making gonna... making a record to do that. Yes. That would be awesome. That would be incredible. Have you ever met any of those guys? Any of the Big Lebowski actors? No, no. I don't think. Uh, no. No. Mm-mm. All right. I was just curious. So I'm curious, too. I'm going to be thinking about that. So we've got uh, a couple of questions. We're going to wrap up here. We're running out of time. i got two questions for you. Yep. Uh, the first question is... Achilles' heel mm-hmm. turns 15 in like two to three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any thought to doing a kind of like an anniversary tour and or what are your thoughts on people doing, you know, these nostalgic tours that f- true fans of the band really love? I mean, it really is for them. It's about I get to see this record I haven't listened to in forever, mm-hmm. but can also be used, unfortunately, from a corporate standpoint as just a quick money. Well, the quick money grab thing is interesting because if in that situation everybody is happy, if the band loves what they're doing, like really loves, like we love this record, playing it every night is a joy, and the fans are way into it, there's no, that's just people doing something they, that they want to do and other people paying money to see it, and I don't see any problem with it. It's when the band doesn't want to be doing it, you know, that's a bummer. Yeah. And I don't think that, I mean, I think that that, that can be a crea- creativity killer. You know, um, in the future, that you're sowing seeds of of cynicism and you know and stuff. So, but it's hard to get into that situation too because you know you don't know, you're not going to want to play it every night, um, and it's a little different because you can't really change up the set the way that you might normally do. Maybe right. you could kind of change the order. I guess you could have a lot of leeway because you don't have a contract with people that you're going to play it in order. Right. Um, so there's a lot of room there if you really do want to be doing that. Um, to, to make it fun. Um, but that said, I don't think we, I don't think I am going to do that. Um, I, you know, I might change my mind. I, I don't know, but I didn't, it wasn't a, my favorite idea in the first place. We kind of, kind of painted ourselves into doing the control one to a certain degree. But before I pulled the plug on it, I, I kind of really, contemplated it okay put yourself in that situation these songs and i like ran through them a couple times or whatever and uh, and i thought no this would be fun like this would be really fun and it was yeah it was really fun um and partly because what be- with control it's funny what begins as nostalgia you hear options kind of puts you in a mood but it also is that memory you remember your dorm room or wherever the hell you first heard it or first connected with it or that road trip or whatever yep um and but then as soon as that's over it's like this feeling it's a great feeling to start with and it's everybody's enjoying it even though it's a, a little bit of a bummer it's this melancholy it's all this this cocktail of cool cool stuff it's fun and then we do rapture penetration or Indian summer penetration or some something like this. I don't remember. Um, and those are like rock songs. And so then everybody is feeling rock and roll and nostalgia and it's this great thing. But then the back half of the record is just this punishing bummer. 
after bummer after bummer. And so every night what begins as nostalgia in the room and you can feel it turns into like shoulders kind of slumping and everybody kind of getting uh, two or three inches shorter, just standing there kind of like uh, getting punched in the stomach song after song. And that was a fun experience to have every night as a performer. Um, And we, it started, we started leaning into the, there's like a meanness almost to the back half of the record that we were like, well, we're doing that. This is what we're doing. So we might as well just like do it all the way. So as the tour progressed, like the back half was dirty. Yeah. Um, and, and hard, you know, not like we weren't like going, you know, like it wasn't like metal, but it was like heavier. We like put, it's not even a sound. It's like a feeling, you know, that it wasn't. So that was great. But I feel like I dodged a bullet in that I got away with doing a thing that I probably shouldn't have liked. Yeah. But I really did. Um, I was glad that it was over. Uh, probably won't ever play the song Rapture again. Um, all the rest of them are, are tolerable. That one can jump off a pier. I don't, I don't dig it. Um, if we could just play the intro and that's it, I would over and over again, I would love that. Yeah, um, but, that's fair. um, but so all, all that to say, then we did the headphones record because it had never had a life and yeah. I wanted it to have more of a life. I wanted to experience that life more. I wanted another go around for sure playing those tunes. Um, but I don't feel that way about Achilles heel. We played the out of those tunes and it was great. Um, you know, really great. Um, so I feel like it's good and I can't play every song on it. I don't, right. I don't like every song. So it would be a truncated version and people would probably feel pissed off. Or maybe we'd have to specify cause I'm a, I care about stuff like we'll play, you know, nine out of 11 songs, our choice, you know, right, right. kind of thing. But that's a little clunky on a flyer. Yeah. Um, I don't but, know how you would word that. Well, <laughs> I just, I think I'd have to play this back and write it down. That's, right. uh, that's good. Um, that was good. Well, we are out of time. I'm so thankful for you to be here today. It's my pleasure. It's been a ton of fun to check you out. Check out davidbazan.com. You can find out about shows. You can find out all all your music's on there. You can order the new record, Blanco. You can get the vinyl. You can get T-shirts if you want to get it online. Ooh, ooh, there's really great um, a poster. It's a a bundle of something, but there's a poster and a T-shirt and a vinyl mat, maybe. Slip mat. Uh, Slip mat. Um, and the design is by uh, a friend of uh, ours called Jesse Ledoux, who worked at Sub Pop for years, and he made the Achilles heel artwork, for instance. Uh, oh, awesome! Uh, as well as all the the Christmas seven inches and um, the headphones artwork, and uh, he's I mean he's really done a lot uh, in, in Bazan Land. Uh, he did this devastatingly good design. Uh, for like a supplemental thing that I just am so proud of. That's awesome. So check that out even just to look at it because it'll make your brain feel better. I, I guarantee it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. We can follow you on Twitter at David Bazan. Yes. Uh, if we want to venture into that territory. Well, yeah. Be forewarned. Yeah. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and then uh, Facebook.com backslash David Bazan. I'm told. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Dave, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. This has been a ton of fun. Again, please subscribe to the ESPN Music Podcast, whether on iTunes or in the ESPN app. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel Dopp. And until next time, keep spinning those records.